college years. They can be so wonderful. Unless you have a terrible roommate. My buddy, Jason Sensi, has a company that helps students and their families choose their own roommate. Every university and every student needs mycollegeroomie.com. Happy students equal a happy campus. Learn more at mycollegeroomie.com. Entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builders Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builders Show, the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builders Show, and along with my executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. The Business Builders Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of business executives. And you can learn more about this group, which I'm part of, the C-Suite Network, by going to c-suite.com. You can also find our show and all other great shows on csuiteradio.com. My special guest today is Chuck Collins. Hi, Chuck. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Marty. I'm thrilled, man. Now, I want to kind of set this up a little bit. It was a few weeks ago, I guess, and I heard Chuck Collins on NPR. Now, I was driving, and I couldn't get the whole thing, but I said, hmm, this guy has an interesting message, and and this is a business show. So I think, I know that what we're going to talk about, I really want to get into the hearts, minds, uh, of uh, and the ears of, of the business audience that the Business Builder Show reaches out to. So let me do a quick introduction, Chuck, and then we're going to get into the meat of the discussion. Chuck Collins is a storyteller, researcher agitator, and campaigner based at the Institute for Policy Studies, where he co-edits inequality.org. For two decades, he has worked to shift the stuck national debate about wealth inequality, racial wealth divisions, and taxation. Chuck's newest book is, listen carefully, folks, Born on Third Base, a one percenter makes the case for tackling inequality, bringing wealth home, and committing to the common good. So Chuck Collins, again, welcome to the Business Builder Show. My first question is a simple one. Explain the title of your book. Well, I think it was um, Barry Schweitzer, who was a coach of the Dallas Cowboys, who once said, uh, there are some people who were born on third base and think they hit a triple. Mm. And, uh, and I think that had been, uh, and then I think the governor of Texas, Ann Richards mentioned that about George Bush. Um, because there were, uh, you know, people who were like myself who were born in a, with considerable advantages who still like to kind of tell their story as if they're kind of virtuous pulling up their own bootstrappers, mm. uh, of which I am not. So, uh, so I think that that was part of the fun was to just say, look, this is this is, uh, you know, I am born on third base, but I know I didn't get there on my own. Yeah. And you refer to that as the you're a one percenter. 
Yeah, I grew up in a in a wealthy family. Um, my great grandfather was the meatpacker Oscar Meyer. Uh, it was a family business until um, I was twenty one years old. So it was really went to the fourth generation, um, and that meant that uh, you know I grew up in a, a wealthy suburb of Detroit, and and uh, you know was given uh, an inheritance, you know, at a young age, et cetera. So you know I kind of was won the lottery at birth. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I was able to. Uh, you know, pay for my own college right out of my own checking account and things like that. So I had, you know, this tremendous mountain of advantage. Well, but things changed at some point, and that's what we're going to talk about. In the introduction of your book, I'm taking it right out of the book, you say, all the evidence now suggests that too much inequality is bad for everyone, even the super rich. Explain that to me. What do you mean? Well, this is where, you know, I think uh, the, the conversation about inequality has historically been stuck because people hear that and they think, oh, you're you want to redistribute wealth or you're you're fomenting class war or you're you know, targeting successful people who have built enterprises. And I would say, uh, you know, none of that applies to, to me. I actually, you know, really value and treasure, uh, you know, people who start enterprises, people who, who make enormous sacrifices to build businesses and wealth. What I'm arguing is that these inequalities now are at such a distorting level mm-hmm. that they create kind of like monopolies. Uh, they undermine healthy economic growth. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the richest one percent now has you know forty-two percent of all the private wealth. Uh, of most of the income and wealth gains since the economic meltdown have gone not just to the top one percent, but to the top one tenth of one percent. That creates actually a lot of economic instability because mm. low and middle income workers who who don't have uh, you know what economists call aggregate demand they don't have the money in their pockets to to buy consumer goods and at the high end of the pyramid more and more wealthy people are are kind of gambling or engaging in speculative investment as opposed to investing in the real economy of business goods and services and enterprises that that create healthy growth and and real wealth so. That's where I think I've kind of made the case too much inequality actually is going to backfire on on those who have a lot of wealth. You sold me, Chuck. I mean, I got to tell you, again, when I heard you on NPR, I, I actually I either did something. I wrote it down. Or I said, I got to buy this, buy this guy's book. And I read it. And I was like, wow, this is a logical. I hate to say that. Maybe you want it to be an emotional connection. But this is a logical uh fundamental thought process that makes sense to me and i'm a capitalist i mean you know so it it was fascinating to me okay so well actually marty that's so important that you said that because you know people assume that if you care about inequality you're you're anti-capitalist or something and i and i would just say if you care about capitalism and a healthy free market and the possibility that you know, first generations of entrepreneurs can become successful. We we should all be very concerned about these inequalities, not just because of the impact on on sort of growth, but also what what happens to a society that just pulls apart. It, it, it does lead to kind of a civic breakdown, and I would say you know a polarized economy leads to a polarized politics. Yeah, and here we are. And here we are. Uh, there's no question about that. So. Um... All right, let's get into a couple of specific examples, and I'm pulling these right out of your book. Um, you talked about a gentleman named Hank, and he was an executive, I think, with Boeing. Am I getting that right? 
That's right. And 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 I guess he attended a talk that you did, and the con he came up and spoke to you. Tell tell us the story because I think the real mission is the the heading for that chapter is cracking hearts open. So talk to me about Hank. What did you talk to to him about? Well, you know, it was it was he actually came up to me after he heard my kind of presentation about kind of where we're at in terms of inequality and why it's not a good thing and. And he said, you know, uh, I'm retired now, and uh, you know, I worked inside. I worked for a company, and I worked with great people. And uh, you know, for 40 years, I was working with people where of, of high integrity, but we never actually had a conversation about poverty. Yeah. And then he said to me, you know, then I went and I was just doing volunteer service work for my church in Kenya, and I was building these these little, very simple uh, water treatment facilities. He, he had been trained as an engineer, and he talked about meeting these kids who would show up at the work site and just watch him every day and engage with him. And he finally, you know, he said, where do you live? And, and, and they took him down a path and took him to this big set of large one story sagging wooden structure. And it says orphanage on the side. And he said, Oh, this is where you live. And he, he, he said that in, in this moment, he, you know, a lot of us live with stories that justify the inequalities around us. You mm. see somebody and you say, oh, you know, they didn't work hard, they didn't work smart. Mm. Oh, that person over there got up early, worked hard all day, applied themselves, took risks. They get all the, they deserve all the rewards they get. Mm. What, what Hank said to me is he said, you know, I'm outside of my story. I'm outside of the, the system that justifies these inequalities. And I cannot really explain the gap between my life as a human being on this earth and these children's life. And, and, and so he just got swept into coming back to suburban LA where he lived and, and, and pulling in, you know, his friends and resources from the church and they built three new buildings and they, you know, this orphanage helps, you know, three times more children that were all, all needed that help. Yeah. But in the process of that, he said he felt like his heart was cracked open and that he became open and willing to look at, the inequalities all around us, including in the communities where he lived, and yeah. and it's totally transformed his life. So it was, and I, I often tell that story in the sense that you know people will say to me, "Oh, the rich are all greedy and they don't care about other people." I said, well, "Actually, you know, uh, people people are capable of having their hearts cracked open and 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 take and bringing a different story to how they look at the world." So anyway, yeah. he was just an example, I think. of yeah, it was a powerful example, and uh, in my notes, I wanted to go to something else, but I'm going to switch back to, I'm looking at the second page of my notes, and I'm going to ask this head-on question. I think it, it somewhat relates to um, what you just said, and here's the straightforward question. Do non-white children have the same opportunities as white children? Let's talk about in the United States of America. Well, I would say, unfortunately, um the family, you know, I think the American ideal is it doesn't matter where you're born, that there's social mobility and you, you have an opportunity and, and if you apply yourselves, you can move ahead. Um, in the last 20 years, we've become our kind of uh, social mobility arteries are hardening, not just for kids who are black, but but for anybody really who's in the sort of the bottom half, mm-hmm. the income ladder. Mm-hmm. I would say in the case of... Um, you know, a young person of color, uh, that there are, there was a sort of compounding disadvantages that flow over generations. Yeah. Just in the same way in my life, I can see how advantages accelerate or compound, 
you know, once, you know, I come from a family, four generations of economic stability, you know, people own their home and they got mortgages and they were able to build assets. But if you go back and because of the legacy of racism, your grandparents were not able to buy a home or in fact, they got a, you know, kind of a scam contract mortgage and they were stripped of their wealth. Um, then it's harder to over generations move ahead. So I think we underestimate the power of both intergenerational advantage yeah. and disadvantage. And if we're real, real honest with each other, Marty, we, we would just, it would just be a very matter of fact conversation. I'd say, you know what? My dad got the, got the GI bill. He got a VA mortgage for yeah. 1% 40 year fixed rate mortgage. That, that was good. Yeah. And my neighbor, you know, who's African American was barred from getting on the wealth building train. And we would say, let's just now let's remedy that. Yeah. It, it, it is not a level playing field and, and you build the case and, and it's apparent and we can close our eyes to it. Um, but, but it's not a level playing field. Um, yeah. So I am speaking with Chuck Collins, his book, which I strongly suggest you buy. It'll change the way you think about a lot of things. Chuck's book is Born on Third Base. A one percenter makes the case for tackling inequality, bringing wealth home, and committing to the common good. Okay, another um, straightforward question. Um, talk to me about a gentleman named Martin Rothenberg, and it has to do with the... Uh, estate tax. You've got a lot of information to share on that. Talk to me about him. Talk to me about that journey that you're on. Sure. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was part of an effort to keep the estate tax from being abolished. And the estate tax, some people call it the death tax. It's effectively an inheritance tax uh, paid for by families today that have $11 million or more. So or if you're an individual, five and a half million dollars. So it's really paid by a small segment of people. But there was a whole effort to abolish it. And a lot of small business people were encouraged to think of, oh, the estate tax is really bad for small businesses. So let's get rid of it. It was it was a, a very effective campaign run on the other side to, to, to get rid of it. So I was part of an effort to get, you know, business leaders like Warren Buffett and small business leaders and others to stand up and say, you know what, we should have a tax on inherited wealth in this country if we want to pr protect uh, meritocracy. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the one of the people who kind of came out of the woodwork and was a public spokesperson for um, defending the estate tax was this guy Martin Rothenberg that none of you have ever heard of, except he he had a you know he's a high tech entrepreneur, um, and he you know and, and the reason I like to tell his story is because sometimes people say oh, I don't really. You know, these inequalities don't really bother me that much because it's a reflection of deservedness. You know, the people who have a lot deserve it and people who don't deserve their situation. And what I like about Martin is he tells a story that I think kind of changes that, which he basically says, and I'll try to say it briefly, which is he, 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 he tells the story of how he grew up in a poor family, low-income family, didn't have any family opportunity, but he actually, you know, went to really good public schools he went to a public library that was open till nine o'clock on weeknights and on the weekend he could go and study. There was a librarian that took an interest in him. So when he looked back on his life, he says, you know, someone else paid for mm -hmm. my childhood education and someone else paid for him to be able to go to college because he got a scholarship and someone else paid to build this amazing infrastructure of knowledge that the new technologies were built on, the internet. Mm -hmm. 
And so he says, you know, I started a company. Where did I hire my employees? I hired them from the computer science department of the public university down the road. And then he tells it for business listeners, you'll appreciate this. A foreign company came and, and stole his intellectual property. He stole his patents. Hmm. And, he, you know, they're going to go and produce his product offshore and put him out of business. And the United States uh, went to, you know, the sort of property rights arm of the world court and, and defended his hmm. property and won, saving hmm. his business. <laughs> so wow. when he tells his story now, he says, you know, so – uh, you know, I sold my company for $30 million and he has several other companies. And he says, you know, if you abolish the inheritance tax, uh, what you're basically saying is I have no obligation to pay back the society that made it almost entirely possible for me to make it. Yeah. And he actually was very emotional in this moment of this press conference. He said, I have a moral obligation to pay yeah. back so that some other kid out there who's born in a poor family like I was – should have the same opportunities. Yeah. You know, what a good society does is if you have wealth at a certain level, you recycle it back so that others have the same opportunities you did. And I think that I, I was it's just a very different story. It's not the I did it alone. Yeah. Yeah. The great man theory of wealth creation. He it's not to take away anything from his own efforts, you know. I think the best in America is when we celebrate individual initiative and people who start businesses and create things that we all benefit from, we should celebrate and reward these folks. But we sort of leave out of the equation the web of commonwealth, of public investments and yeah. community investments that create this fertile ground for enterprise and wealth creation. We sort of leave that out of the story. And if we leave it out of the story, we forget how important it is. Yeah, I, I when we were communicating uh, via email, I said, look, this is not a political show, so I don't make political comments. I don't even know what the heck's going on in the world most of the time. Um, but the, the lightning rod of this discussion is uh, when a politician said something like the fact that uh, you didn't do that on your own. And of course, there was a huge backlash, um, you know, for from entrepreneurs. And, and uh, so you just now made a strong case so many of every all of us i mean you refer to the greatest generation and in, in, in financing and 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 some people didn't get to, t to tap into that but all of us have gotten this help the internet came from where did it come from it came from government work right i mean figuring all that out so uh, boy you got me hooked here chuck i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of shocked i'm so hooked <laughs> I really am. Um, okay. You zeroed in on this because I think, I don't know, you know, I remember, um, you know, um, that the, the, you know, politician saying something like, you know, you didn't do it alone. And I think that there's a defensive reaction to that. And yeah. I think the way we should actually say is, look, it really, just as you said it, Marty, I thought perfectly, it's like, it doesn't take away anything right. from anybody's individual creativity and entrepreneurship and hard work to just notice that if you tried to do that work in a different soil, yeah. you succeed. Like yeah. take that hard work and, 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 uh, entrepreneurial drive and, 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 you know, go to Honduras, you know, and, and, yeah. uh, go to a, go to a place that doesn't have the fertile ground of public investments and ed educational investments and infrastructure for wealth creation and see how, 
how rich you're going to be in in yeah, 20 years. That's so solid, Chuck. That's, that I mean, think about that. And when you have that negative reaction to that, think about the fertile soil. I love the I love those words. Uh, no matter how hard you work, if you are that farmer where it's now your land is now a desert because of what's happening and and this whole climate change thing you talk a lot about it here's my opinion on climate change are you ready ready i don't really i certainly care about what caused that and i don't know if we're causing that or if this is natural if this is just the, the world i don't know here's what i do know stuff's happening chuck we got to help people all over the world, our economy, a people, is affecting all of us. So I don't care whatever your position on that is. It's happening. It's real. So talk to me more yeah. about climate change and your thoughts and, 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 and whatever else you want to add to that. And forgive my uh, editorializing. Yeah. Well, I, I was a little bit, um, I would say about eight years ago, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't think climate change was that important. So, but I did spend some time sort of studying up on it. And I, I do, I do come to this conclusion that, you know, a century, particularly, uh, countries in the North, a century of burning fossil fuels, which have, you know, I mean, we have been a blessing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the economic mm-hmm. engine of our society was, you know, largely built on a foundation of very cheap energy. I mean, uh, oil is an incredible substance and, and, and all the spinoff industries and the like, but the downside is that it has heated up uh, the atmosphere and has, yeah. you know, have more than whatever, 4,000 parts of carbon per, you know, uh, increment. And so what I can see in my own life as somebody who has fruit trees and is a gardener and lives in it, lives in New England is we're seeing weird weather. We're seeing not just multi-year fluctuations, but, you know, last year was again the the hottest year on record. We've had seven of the 10 hottest years in the last 200 years in the last decade. So something's going on. It actually will affect the economy. It will affect uh, our food systems. We're going to have to spend more money on infrastructure, uh, weird weather. I mean, we, we had a tornado in Western Massachusetts two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Marty, we don't get tornadoes. Yeah. No, there's, there's, there's definitely, England, it's definitely here. Yeah. Yeah. Real. Oh, and we are seeing both great droughts and great inundations and floods. And that is the nature of climate change. It just kind of height, it, it, it sort of exacerbates the existing weather patterns. So this is going to affect us all. It's going to affect, uh, you know, the quality of life. So, and gonna- so let me jump in. So yeah. I'm rich with all this going on. I'm rich. Can I go to some, res- some remote mountaintop and be safe? What's your opinion? Well, it's funny. There's actually this article this uh, in the New York New Yorker this week about these super rich folks who are uh, preparing for the apocalypse. They're you know yeah. buying luxury missile silos and yeah. buying landing strips in New Zealand, et cetera. And part of that's ecological, and part of it's they believe we're heading into a period of social upheaval. My my view is that's delusional. Uh, there is no planet B. And this is actually part of my argument in Born on Third Base. Yeah. Not only are these inequalities bad for everybody, but we sort of need to all step up around the ecological challenges. And not just climate change, but the crisis of fresh water, the crisis of the oceans and acidification. That's all going to affect sea life. 
the fact that our soils are more and more contaminated and that we have less fertile soil and you know so we have these ecological challenges so my message to my felt to you the, or you know as you described yourself I'm a rich guy is uh, there is no wealth on a degraded earth there's no there's, escape there's no escaping it there is no wealth yeah on yeah. a degraded where we don't have fresh water so it's yeah. in everyone's deep selfish interest. This isn't a case for altruism. This is like this is in your direct interest to step up and fix the future and be a leader. And if you have a millions of billions of dollars, you have disproportionate voice and impact in helping us make this transition. We need to make a very rapid transition away from a fossil fuel dependent economy into a new economy that can be just as vibrant and exciting, but it's going to have to be or living within the limits of the Earth's boundaries. Yes. So, Chuck, as predicted, there is so much more to talk about. We're not going to get it all done. We kind of need to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up by strongly suggesting that people get your book. Again, I'm speaking with Chuck Collins. His book is Born on Third Base, The One Percenter Makes the Case for Tackling Inequality, Bringing Wealth Home, and Committing to the Common Good. I feel very strongly about your work, what you're saying, how you're saying it, Chuck, is vitally important. I am proud to have you on the show, and I hope that I can bring you back in the near future. Would you accept at least saying, yeah, I'll come back at some point? Absolutely. I would love to continue the conversation. Yeah, it's been great. So. Go ahead, Chuck. Finish up. I was going to say, we'll find a time soon to do that. Yeah, and again, there's so many things. uh, So forgive me, uh, but I I hope we built the case. You got some points out. Um, Again, folks, uh, please, please uh, get the book. So again, Chuck Collins has been my guest on the Business Builders Show. So thank you so much for listening. Again, you can get this show and all a bunch of great shows on csuiteradio.com. So on behalf of myself, Marty Wolf, and my executive producer, Mr. D.C. Taylor, thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show, and have a great week. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. College years, they can be so wonderful. Unless you have a terrible roommate. My buddy, Jason Sensi, has a company that helps students and their families choose their own roommate. Every university... And every student needs MyCollegeRoomie.com. Happy students equal a happy campus. Learn more at MyCollegeRoomie.com.